Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1247 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on this podcast, making us your first listen each and every day. That includes podcast offerings like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube, Stitcher, and everywhere that you like to find podcasts. I am joined on today's show by my friend and arch rival, Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com. Kevin and I uh, talked for quite a bit of time about the Atlanta Hawks, almost an hour on this podcast. It was actually recorded on Monday, so keep that in mind, but nothing's really changed since then for the Hawks. Uh, as a plug, real quickly before I get to Kevin and I, um, I talked extensively last night on Tuesday and Wednesday about Trey Young's All-NBA um, success, and congratulations again to Trey Young. Elsewhere, I talked about Zach Levine's potential appeal for the Hawks, DeAndre Ayton, and the rumors there. Um, earlier this week, uh, I was uh, talking to Glenn Willis about the Hawks-related matters. We had last week, we had Andrew Kelly on for two or three podcast episodes, player capsules, draft stuff, wall-to-wall coverage. We're still cooking here in the offseason. I appreciate everybody listening to the show. We'll have much more coming up with Glenn on player capsules. We have some draft content coming up. Ricky O'Donnell is scheduled to join us in the near future. And uh, yeah, wall-to-wall coverage. Please subscribe to the podcast. And uh, without further delay, here is the intro. And I'll be back with myself and Kevin Chenard. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm joined now by my friend and I guess arch enemy in some respects, uh, the host of the ATL 29 podcast, writer for Hawks.com. What else do you do? Social for Bally Sports. What else? Uh, what else is on, what's on your uh, your dance card these days? It's Kevin Chenard. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thank you for making me a YouTube star. Uh, yeah, you can watch Kevin's shining face and mine on YouTube if you want to watch this podcast or just listen to it. That's okay as well. Um, I try not to bug Kevin very often. We, we talk a lot. We spend lots of time together at arenas and things. And I, I, I appreciate you taking some time in the midst of the offseason to come on uh, the podcast. Uh, first, you know, I'm asking this to everyone. So it's not only you that I'm doing this to. It's a very big picture question. And I want to know kind of how you're feeling about the Hawks right now, both in terms of it was a season that was kind of disappointing in some respects. And also, uh, you know, now, now that we're in the dead zone of the offseason in terms of getting the draft's coming and all that stuff. There's lots of people that are looking forward and getting excited again. Uh, where are you at mentally um, on May 20-something about the Atlanta Hawks? I think they have tough choices to make. I, I, I look at the Hawks and I look at the teams that are left in the playoffs. And I think about the last couple of years of what the Hawks have been in Atlanta. And the Hawks are built to beat a certain kind of team. Uh, you know, they, they're built to beat the Philadelphias of the world. <laughs> yes. uh, they, they're, they can punish the heck out of drop coverage. Uh, you know, they have a lot of bigs. They, they can compete with someone like Joel Embiid with, with Clint Capella in there. But I look at the Golden States and Dallas and Miami. Uh, and, you know, I get a little bit worried about, you know, the, the future of the NBA and are the, Haw- are the Hawks aiming towards that moving target of, of where the league is going? Are they set up to beat the teams that are going to be the, the best teams for the next five years and, and the preeminent styles that they're going to face? Yeah, no, it's a good good question. And I was going to ask you kind of about the Miami series. It's sort of a good jumping, jumping off point because Miami defensively is quite good. 
so that's worth pointing out as well. But um, they do play the very switchable scheme. They're kind of, you know, Bam is clearly, you know, a center, but they have they have the ability to play small. They have the ability to kind of withstand some weaknesses. They were obviously playing Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or whoever at some points. But for the most part, they got at least four guys on the court that are all good defenders and they're all strong and versatile guys. And clearly it was kind of outlier bad just how bad it was for the Hawks in that series. They just could not score trace series all that stuff but uh i was that was on my agenda to ask you like what concerns you because you know there's there's this conversation already about the hawks needing a number, a number two option that's been a competition for a long time and it got a lot louder after that series but even the guys they have now you know trey famously destroys drop coverage and he did he did some success last year in the playoffs against some switching with milwaukee but you know what did that series tell you in particular both about the current guys and also what they might need because clearly there's this like two prong conversation about what they have to address that I know you heard Tony say and Travis say, and even Nate say about secondary creator and defensive help. That's kind of the two pillars, but what did you take away? Was it just as simple as they need more firepower? Like is it, was there issues with Trey? Like what did, what did that series and kind of the way it ended tell you about the team? That's a lot of questions, Brad. I know. I asked I, I ask like seven. Pro- I'm, I'm a terrible host. I'm like a seven. And I'm, I'm glad you'll actually call me on it because most people are just like going to answer me because they're on a podcast. I, I appreciate you being like, look, that's, that's, that's 12 questions you asked me at once. Go wherever you um, want. Man. You know, the Miami series, it, it's, it's funny because the Hawks, they do need more offense. They need someone who can help Trey on offense, someone who can have the ball when defenses tilt his way. So they need more offense. They need more defense, but I don't think, (laughs) I don't think their true identity is as a defensive team, but they can be a lot better. You know, you look at a team like Dallas, like, you know, watching Dallas in the playoffs, you know, they they were a great defensive team in the regular season, but, you know, when you get to the games that matter for a seven game series, can Trey be as good as Luca has been? And I think he can be like Luca's not been good. Uh, defensively, you mean defensively, you mean, yes. Yeah. Defensively. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I, I thought we were still on defense. No, I just want to make sure people, people understand what you're saying. Cause anytime you go Trey and Luca, there's this, uh, there's this little sidebar thing that, so. But, it's hard not to make that comparison here just because they're yeah. they're defensive weak links. So I'm not trying to do it because of the draft thing. I'm trying Certainly. to do it because they're number one options who are bad at defense. And I think Trey, because he can move his feet, can be better than what Luke has been. Um, and I think we've seen it, like not in huge, long intervals, but in short, short spurts and short uh, series. I think I think Trey can be pretty darn good on defense. Uh, with with decent pieces around him. But, you know, again, sort of looking at the future of the league, you know, and what lessons do you take away? Like being a great offensive team in the regular season isn't good enough. You know, you, you can't be Utah. Like that's a bad <laughs> recipe. Having a bunch yeah. of weak defensive wings and uh, a stout defensive center and the number one offense in the league, that's not a recipe to get you far in the postseason. You Golden State, Dallas, Miami. Uh, Boston, these are all great defensive teams. And, you know, the Hawks have to figure out a way to get into that party without necessarily maybe being as good at defense as, as them, but also better on offense. And it's it's going to be a tricky balance. You know, you're going to have to balance the bigs just right. 
Uh, you're going to have to figure out that balance between offensive creation to help Trey and defense just right. And it's, it's a thorny little dance. Uh, I'm, you know, there's, a little, there's a lot of subtlety to it, but I'm, I'm optimistic because they have, you know, some pieces. Uh, I think a Kongu can fit that kind of style. Uh, you know, I think DeAndre Hunter can fit that kind of style. And I think, you know, someone like Trey, like I said, I think he could be better than, than Luca has been on defense just because, you know, he's, he's a determined little son of a gun and, <laughs> you know, he can move his feet. You know, there have been times this season where he's got to make a rotation and he sees it and he makes that quick recognition and he's just so fast that he can get where he wants and, and, and make things happen. So I think they can get there, you know, looking big picture at this stuff, but, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a style concern here. And, you you know, we still have to be careful. It's like, you know, Eastern Conference, in my opinion, is way better than the West. And they still have Milwaukee and they still have Philadelphia and they still have the, the – uh, no, not the Knicks. Um, but <laughs> the Nets? Maybe the, maybe the Nets. If you, want to, if you want to go to New York, maybe, maybe but, the Nets. But, yeah, there, there's a certain style that they've got to figure out how to beat uh, because there are a lot of good teams in, in this uh, genre – at the current moment. <laughs> That's a good uh, place to put that. I'm going to ask a couple more things, of course, uh, but first a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Rock Auto. The auto world has sort of mixed models these days. It makes it impossible for the local chain store dealership to have all of the car or truck parts that you actually need for your automobile. And even if they actually have them, do you want to endure all the questions from the person behind the counter? All they want to do is sell you what they want to sell you from the warehouse or behind the counter or whatever actually help, apps to help them with their commission or anything like that. Instead, do what's best for you. And that's rockauto.com, which can be accessed at home or in your pocket. It's a much better option overall. Why spend more for the exact same parts at any chain store or dealership where you actually order them at rockauto.com for much cheaper and in very easy fashion? rockauto.com is a family business they've had customers for more than 20 years at this point and the prices at rock auto are reliably below for each and every customer no matter who you are they have all of what you need and want for your car at rock auto that includes brake parts and tail lamps motor oil even carpet and the website is rockauto.com today check it out see all, all of what's available for your car or your truck and when you get there use the term locked on in the box that asks you how that you heard about rockauto.com so they know that we sent you to them once again that is locked on in that box amazing selection reliable low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com kevin uh you said a lot there about you know trey on defense and the fact that i think we all know this but this is going to be an offensive identity team and there's nothing wrong with that you know the warriors are a unique example and that's maybe why they've won so many titles in that they have the uh small i want to say small because it's not that small but steph curry is a is a point guard sized human that is their fulcrum and usually guys usually teams built like that are offense first and obviously they have sky high offensive highs but there have also been really good defensively for the majority of a decade now and that's what you want obviously it's just kind of tough to find that which is why everyone's building that trying to build that way um i think it is realistic that the hawks will still probably need to be you know, Uber elite offensively and just good defensively versus what some of these teams are like, like your Boston's and Miami. So let's just say Boston and Miami, they're in the conference finals. Both those teams are better defensively than they are on offense. That's pretty clear. Um, I think the Hawks might have to go the other direction on that just because of their personnel, unless you just want to overhaul the entire thing, which they're not going to do. Uh, but there is a baseline. I think that's kind of, it gets under discussed sometimes of how good you have to be defensively, even, you know, it's kind of weird. Dallas is a good example too, because Dallas personnel wise, Dallas is not incredible defensively, 
but they they played so well this year defensively under Kidd, and I was wrong about that hire. That it's worked out very well for them. But that's maybe what you're aiming for in that it's scheme, it's effort, it's execution. It's not necessarily defensive talent. They don't have Rudy Gobert on the Mavs. They don't have you know these incredible defensive players. Like they have guys who can guard Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and whoever else you want to sit. Maxi Kleber is a really versatile, good piece. But they don't have an All NBA first team guy on that roster. Um, and the Hawks, you know, Capella's got to that level, and maybe a Congo gets to that level at some point. But other than that, they don't really have th- those guys either. Um, so is it just as simple as upgrading the talent defensively, or is it a situation where the guys on the roster have to be – I think it's kind of both probably, but do you think they have to make sweeping changes to the personnel to be good enough defensively, or is it a situation where you can kind of hope that guys like Hunter and Okongwu uh, continue to develop and kind of become your uh, your difference makers? Long pause. That's a good question. <laughs> Long pause, Kevin. It's okay. Yeah, they have to they have to upgrade. Like when when you were talking about Dallas, I was like, wait, I wanted to stop you and say, no, no, no. Dorian Finney Smith is a he's good. great defender. We yeah. can't pass him off as he's hey, really he's good. pretty good at defense. Like <laughs> he's good. He is really good. And but the thing about Dorian Finney Smith, not to derail you, is like that's an undrafted guy who just basically willed himself into the role that he's in. He's got defensive talent for sure, but He's their best defender. I agree with you, but it wasn't like he was this huge pedigree guy defensively. He just kind of came out of nowhere and earned a spot because he busted he busts himself on and that's credit to him. He's been awesome. So it's kind of interesting as a comparison. I guess if I had to pick in that dichotomy that you gave me a, a few seconds ago, I, I think you have to upgrade the personnel defensively, but in a very specific way. Like I, I, I maybe a couple of names that kind of point you in the right direction here would be, you know, like Solomon Hill or PJ Tucker. Like you need, <laughs> you need a veteran who's just going to kick people in the butt for starters and hold people accountable and, you know, help you get through the grind. Cause the 82 game seasons are, are, are really miserable thing. And, and there's a lot of games there and, you know, it, it can't always come from the coaches. I think, you know, I think you have to have some players on the roster who can, you know, tell a superstar, Hey, you, you need to do this. And this is, you know, if you do it this other way, it's just not going to be good enough. And, you know, to do that, that has to be a veteran. And so I, I think you have to, you know, get that guy who is over 30 years old, who, can play some defense who can, you know, function maybe as a small big and a switchable scheme. You know, there, there are all those guys around the league sort of uh, maybe that's not, it doesn't always have to be a big, but you know, like somebody like Marcus smart, you, you just, you, you need that veteran who kind of sets the tone yeah. and can, can tell people what needs to happen, but you know, it's, it, it's going to be a tricky dance. And, you know, on the flip side, this is kind of switching topics here, but like you know, when, when you look at the direction that the league is heading, you know, I, I get worried about uh, the, the short term future of the Hawks in this sense. Like if, if you're going to be seeing this kind of small ball defense all the time with, you know, switching and, and big guards and small bigs, and lots of physicality and the referees allowing the physicality. What does it look like for the Hawks? Number one, under Nate McMillan. Number two, under Nate McMillan with no Danilo Gallinari. Like, you know, for for a really long time, the Hawks have relied on, hey, okay, here's the switching team. Well, we're going to punish them in the post with Danilo yep. and try to go one-on-one. And it's like, 
I don't, you know, I, there were a lot of criticisms of Nate, and I think one of the fairest is that the Hawks haven't been good against that kind of defense. And taking away his favorite option against that scheme is problematic. So, you know, if, if the Hawks can't afford Gallinari next season and he ends up somewhere else, how do the Hawks attack a switching defense? Uh, you know, I, I think they're going to need to come up with some some new tunes, uh, a new playlist, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, no, I think that it's not been the most creative. And, you know, we talked about this offline as well. But uh, Nate really, really likes to mismatch hunt, which – a lot of coaches do. It's not a thing that only he does by any stretch, but that is his crutch. And Gallo, because of Gallo's just sheer size um, and the ability to shoot over anybody that's standing in front of him, basically, has been a good weapon for them to do that. Um, but reg- even even if Gallo's back, that, that can't be your plan A or even plan B again. at his age and with all this stuff going. He's not going to play enough, all that stuff moving forward to where like it is a, it's a useful tool. But in terms of they probably need to be better personnel wise as well, like having having one more guy that could break the defense down against a one on one situation. Because, look, Trey's really good. We all know this. Um, you can have faith in Trey to beat his guy. Um, but he's really the only guy on their roster that in a switch against a good defender. Let's say P.J. Tucker is a great example. You brought him up earlier. I know Hawks fans don't love P.J. Tucker, but he's extremely valuable in the playoffs. He just is. He's, he's a great playoff player. So we use him as an example. Trey's the only guy on the roster right now that you can say with any confidence is going to be able to beat P.J. Tucker one-on-one in a switch. They don't have anybody else that can do that on their team. Right? I mean, obviously one-offs, they can. some guys can do it, but not regularly speaking. And, you know, for all the – I love Collins as a guy. I think I'm high on Collins, but he's not the greatest mismatch hunter against anyone that's, like, not guard. If it's a guard, he can, he can, beat, you guy, he can beat you up like that. But he's not a guy you can just throw the ball to against anybody and say, go get a bucket. That's not, that's not really what he does. He can do a little bit of that, but they don't have that number two guy to do that. That's a very obvious take. But it is true that when teams are switching, especially if they don't have huge holes, you have to be able to beat good defenders. Like if you're playing the Celtics, they unless they're playing Peyton, Peyton Pritchard, they don't have anybody out there that's not a good defender. So you have to be able to beat that without just saying pick on that guy. Occasionally you'll play the Mavs with Luca or the Heat with Tyler Hero, and you have a spot. Um, or if you're playing the Hawks, it's Trey or whatever. But there are teams out there in the playoffs, in particular, the highest highest levels, and that's the thing. When you're the Hawks and you and you're and you've, and you've made the conference finals, you're thinking about the highest levels now, and you have to have a way or at least a couple of theories on how to beat opposing defenses. And we saw in that heat series, it's a small sample size, but like there wasn't a lot going on there. It was kind of like, Oh, we, we don't have a plan C at minimum. They might, they might have had a plan B. They didn't, they didn't have a plan C in that series. There was no like alternate thing that really did much. And obviously our mutual friend Glenn had some ideas and stuff like that. People that are great at X's and O's, but they didn't, they didn't seem to me to have a ton of answers to the highest level defenses. And that is a problem when you get to the highest level. Yeah, and and I think they have to go that route. Like, I, you know, when you talk about, well, where where can you do this? I, I think Gallinari's spot is maybe where you can make some changes. I think I think you need someone more in the, the Grant Williams vein for that position. Uh, you know, somebody who's 6'6". You know, it, it pains me to say this, but <laughs> I, it's not my favorite uh, aesthetic in terms of basketball. I am not a big fan of the 6'6 guy posing as a center 
you know, waiting for somebody to drive the lane and then, oh God, he hit me. I'm, I'm, you know, and then you, you, <laughs> you love, you, you, you love, you love flops. You... Like, it's just really kind of disgusting, but you know, <laughs> if, if we're laying out the axioms of how do the Hawks get better, they have to play within that framework. Yeah. Um, and I, I think they need to go a little bit more defense at that spot uh, than offense. I think that's a spot where you go for the veteran leader. I think that's where you go for a, uh, you know, a, a switchable defender, maybe somebody who can, you know, do all of that and be a, a good rebounder next to a Kongwu because, you know, I think a Kongwu can function very well in that kind of scheme too. You just got to be very cognizant of, hey, he's going to need some help on the defensive glass. Yep. Uh, especially since when you do that, you're you're going to be in a scheme that pulls the big further from the paint. And so, you know, you're going to have to be a little deeper, you know, one through five uh, in rebounding. So, if, you know, if you can find a person who's, you know, six, seven, can shoot just basic corner threes, but just move feet on defense, be an absolute speed bump in the post uh, defensively so that you just can't move them. And uh you know, help help a Congo a little bit rebounding wise. I think that's the kind of player that that you're going to need uh, to function in in the space where the league seems to be heading. Yeah, that would help them on defense to be sure. And as much as there's so much talk about just three and D in general uh, as to who players are, it is kind of funny though. After all of this time, the Hawks really don't have anyone that's just a three and D guy. Like Hunter's the closest. But he doesn't like to just be a 3 and D guy on offense. Like He likes to do some stuff with the dribble. Like A lot of teams have that Dorian Face is a great example of a guy who doesn't do really anything on offense except shoot, except shoot threes. Or P.J. Tucker crashes the glass and stuff, but he's really going to go to the corner and shoot threes and do – like the Hawks don't really have a, a pure 3 and D guy on the team anywhere. It's kind of interesting. Like Solomon Hill was kind of that when he was playing because he didn't – but his three is kind of a low, low very, very low tier three. He just, he, he'll, he'll shoot them. He's a not a great shooter. One. Yeah, he's not, a, he's not really a 3 and D guy. Okay, I'm going to change gears on you in a second. But, uh, but first, another word from our sponsors, our final break on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Truebill and free trials offer new without your consent. If you didn't know that, it's actually because a business scam is trying to get you. Do not let corporations pocket your money out of their own greed. Instead, download Truebill right now and take control of your subscriptions across the board. Truebill is an app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't want, don't need, or even forgot about entirely. On, on average, people save up to $720 a year using Truebill. Truebill makes it incredibly simple when it comes to canceling subscriptions. That's important because companies just make it very hard to cancel on purpose for their own benefit. Link your accounts together and Truebill will cancel all of those online subscriptions in just one tap. As somebody mentions a lot of subscriptions, I just want to keep up all the stuff from the sports world. I have to say, Truebill is awesome, and I highly recommend it. Truebill has more than 2 million users, and they've helped people save more than $100 million in the course of their business. And I will just say this. Do not fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands, yes, thousands, each and every year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, Kevin, uh, we talked about sort of what they can – do I'm not going to make you do the fake tra- the fake trade podcast with me with it. Uh, that, that's Andrew Kelly's domain. Uh, but uh, it is interesting to me. Like this is very broad, so forgive me. But are you in the camp of like they have to make a big swing? Because that, that's something I, I know you see it like I do from Hawks fans. They just they really want to go star hunting now. Hawks fans do. I get why. I mean, clearly, you know, shiny new object number one. A lot of teams have that number two guy that is. Uh, you could say, you know, better, more famous than John Collins, whatever you want to say it is. Um, or is it just like what kind of what you laid out? Like maybe you just turn the gallows spot into something else, or maybe you just kind of work on the margins, maybe make one trade involving somebody, whether it's Herter or Bogey or whoever. Um, 
so do you fall on one side? Obviously, it depends on who's available. But do you are, are you someone that thinks they have to try to push some a lot of chips in now, or can I be patient? I mean, I think that could be kind of a pitfall. I mean, it, 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 I think for me, it entirely depends on what the actual trade is. You're speaking my language now, Kevin. Nuance, baby. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't make a trade just for a trade's sake, but you know, I, I, I think there are some pieces that you can move. Uh, you know, you, you look at the depth of the roster and, you know, they, they have three bigs and they're spending a lot of money uh, on Collins and Capella. And, you know, that, that could be a spot where you move one of the two. Um, you know, they've got Herter, they've got Bogdanovich and those are, they're not the same. I mean, they have very stark differences like bogey defensively, you know, he's good, uh, at being strong and not getting moved around. Herter's good at chasing around screens, you know, on offense, Herter's great at shooting and getting to the dotted line for floaters. You know, Bogey is great at shooting and getting into the paint for a fall away. But I, I think, you know, there's there's some duplication there in, in the sense that I think, you know, it, when you're trying to put scorers around Trey, you, you really need to have, you know, Trey and one of those two guys and maybe someone else who's a little bit more of a vertical threat. And I don't mean vertical in the get up and alley-oop kind of sense, but more, you know, uh, just get to the rim sets, you know, can yeah. you get from the three point line to the rim and, and get a defense rotating? Uh, you know, I, you know, Dallas with Luca in this playoffs, uh, you know, Jalen Brunson has been fantastic. And if, if you look at the splits on Dallas's offense, you know, when they have Brunson in things go great. Uh, when you have Luca out there without Brunson, the offense kind of dies a bit. It's a lot harder. Yeah, you you, you kind of need somebody who can get all the way into the restricted area for uh, a basket, not only for the offense and the baskets that you get out of that, but you just need that defense to move. Uh, because if you have that other guy, you know that that frees up Luca or it frees up Trey uh, when you have that kind of secondary threat who who gets a defense in rotation. Herter and Bogdanovich don't. You know, they, they do good things on offense, but they don't get you crazy uh, in defensive rotation the way someone like Brunson can because he's just quicker uh, and, and that gets a defense moving. Um, you know, Jordan Poole in the playoffs has kind of been the same thing. You know, he's he's a great shooter, but, you know, he's shown a lot of craft on drives that, that gets a defense uh, shifting and, and, you know, it's always hard to say how much of that is Steph, you know. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just that, that helps. That, yeah, that helps. That, that helps anybody. You know, what, what would Jordan Poole look like on the Hawks? Maybe not quite as well, but you would. I still think though that you you need somebody who's more of a vertical threat, somebody who can just go from point A away from the rim to point B under the rim, and, and get things happening there on offense for the Hawks. And and you know, so in terms of trading, you know, if you've got this duplication of bigs, if you've got this duplication of wings. Um, you know, you may have to make some hard choices of, you know, do we need a different variety in the mix? And then at that point, it's all value. But, the, you know, I've gotten so far away from your original question, but no, it's, it's like, okay. it's, it's always going to be the nuance of, is this going to fit what we need? Does it, does it make the balance right? And I think there's some rebalancing for the roster that needs to be done, but it depends entirely on the pieces that you would bring in. Sure. I mean, 
on my uh, agenda of notes to maybe ask you about kind of goes to this point and it's it's a hypothetical because we don't know what they would get back but let's say for example they were to more actively look to move on from clint now uh, to kind of pave the way for a Kongwu. that's kind of you alluded to the it's not not a, it's not a log jam like they had a great center. right now today they can play 48 minutes of really good center play and that's actually sh- extremely valuable but you my my party line is like you don't draft a Kongwu six to have him be your backup center for four for four years that isn't usually what you do there um and i think long term they're gonna have to make a decision there on one or the other and it seems more likely to me they move on from clint at some point than they do for a kongwu i'm not saying that's gonna happen maybe maybe if, if, if there is a star move this offseason for instance maybe it involves a kongwu going out for somebody like that but if it's if it's a more if it's a more peripheral move it's probably clint for help somewhere else and then you kind of elevate a kongwu what it's obviously very uh, tough to do this without knowing who, what, what it would be. But do you think a, a Kongwu is ready to f- be a more like full-time 32 minute a game center? And like, what do you lose? I, I, I think I know what I think they lose, but w- what do you, what do you lose if you move on from Clint? Because for me, he's been the anchor, like so clearly their anchor and um, defensive force the last two years, you could say they haven't been great defensively, but he individually has been really good. So what do you lose there? If you move on from Capella and elevated Kongwu? You lose a lot of depth. Uh, you know, one of the things that you've got to be worried about, I think, with a Kogwu is if he's a starter, and, you know, one of the things you're always going to have to worry about is is foul trouble. You know, he right does, now he, does foul he a has... Lot. <laughs> what's that? He does foul a lot. Uh, I, was, I was pulling the numbers right now to talk to you about that because he averaged for 36 minutes this year, 5.4 fouls per, 30, per, per 36. So Yeah, so that, that that's that's concerning. Um, so you, you're always gonna have to be careful in that realm. You know, you're, you're, you're losing a lot of rebounding. Like he, how many people are better rebounders than Clint right now? When he's, might, super, when he's it, healthy. It might be zero. Literally. It might be zero. I mean, he's, he's certainly in the top five in the league rebounding in my mind. When yeah. he's right. So you know, you're losing a, a top five rebounder. Um, so, so that's what you're losing. But you know, at the same time, Clint has, obvious limitations like you know clint in a lot of ways you know i said you know going back 20 minutes i was like you you can't be utah yeah and you know clint brings a lot of those limitations like he's not a good finisher around the rim which isn't a great thing when you're playing with trey young like somehow you you got to uh, you know you've got to maximize finishing opportunities at the rim if if you're going to succeed with Trey Young in the lineup because you know if there's one thing that he can do you know it's it's passed that's the, the signature thing Trey can do is he can get a big man good looks at the rim if your big isn't finishing those that's not great like he you know you look at the numbers of field goal percentage or something real basic like that and it doesn't look that bad but you know there, there's a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit to pick there in terms of uh, getting a center who can finish at the rim. I, I, honestly, to me, that's like the, you know, there was the, the, the hypothetical Rudy Gobert trades. Uh, yeah. And, and those don't excite me, but, you know, he's too expensive. He's too old. You know, we, we've seen the way there's a very specific recipe for beating him. But it's like, I, I'd be intrigued to see what it looks like with a better finisher with Trey. Like, Gobert, like yeah. you haven't seen Gobert with a great passer. 
he's a pretty darn good finisher. If you put him next to Trey, there's a lot of offense that you're going to get with him that you don't get with Capella. Um, so, you know, I think you'd also be losing a, a bad finisher at the rim. I, I think, you know, I don't know that a, a Kongu has that kind of chemistry with Trey yet either, and he's not big enough to really take advantage of that. But, you know, I think there are ways that, that the Hawks could replace Capella. And, you know, you even if you're losing the rebounding and you're losing the defense and you're losing the fact that you're pretty safe with 48 minutes of great defensive play at center, um, you know, I think you could improve in other ways. And, and one of them would be finding someone who can maximize the two-man offense with Trey. Now that that's that that seems to me like some very low-hanging fruit uh, that they could use to uh, get better and replace Clint, uh, even though you're going to lose a lot when you lose Clint. Yeah, I think there's as, even as someone who I think I am higher on Capella than most people are, and I am not banging the table that they have to. There, there's definitely a lot of people that think that they have to trade Clint now, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think he is still a good player. You could easily argue he was their second best player of the last two seasons. Like he, he's been really good in a lot of different ways, but you're you're right about limitations. You know, other than the fact that he he does have a lot of gravity as a as a screener and roller, but his finishing beyond dunks is just basically nil, and we know that at this point. Um, and Akongwu, you know, beyond the fact that he's a a lottery pick who's showing a lot of talent, he's a great touch guy. He might be able to shoot long term. They're hoping he'll be able to shoot at some point. He hasn't yet, which is certainly important to keep that in mind there's this thought that like he'll definitely i mean i think he'll be able to shoot eventually we don't know that for sure he's not proven that at all but minimum he's got a lot more touch than capella does he's a really good athlete i know he's kind of small but and i think that clearly they know that they have to invest something in backup center if they were to do that like you can't just you know plan on that you know bringing back gorgie jang and calling it a day there i think that you have to kind of do something else uh maybe you want to get a true maybe not seven footer but more of a big physical guy behind the Kongwu just for matchup sake. Um, if, if you're playing your Embiid's of the world or your Jokic's of the world, maybe you bring back Dwayne Dedman, so something like that. Like a like a Dedman level, not a starter, but a good backup type. Um, you can play Collins there as well. And I think, honestly, if you were to keep John, which is another, he's another popular topic of conversation, I think we talked, you, you know, I talk about this a lot, but uh, him and Capella were never the greatest fit together. They made it work. And a lot of that was John seeding ground um, out of being a team player and making it work. But you might actually get more, more out of Collins again, if you were to move on from Capella as well. I think he, I think Collins offensive ceiling might go up a little bit higher again. Um, once, if you were to move on from Clint, because he becomes maybe more of a primary role man more often than he has been recently. Cause you know, anytime he's playing with Capella or a Kong Wu, those guys have to be the role men for the most part, because that's all they can really do on the court at the moment, other than that, other than just being a dunker spot. So I've said a lot there, but I think it's just interesting to me to think about what they might do because Capella is a guy they certainly could move on from. One of the theories when they gave him the extension was, you know, they're doing this to make him tradable in the future. I'm not sure if that's the case, but this would be a good time to do it. He, he finished strong, had a good season, uh, obviously was banged up in the playoffs, but if you're worried about Capella, maybe, I don't know, 10% declining, you might want to go ahead and move him now because he's at the age where he might start getting a little bit worse every season. And that is, that's a concern for a guy who's signed for three years at real money. So I don't know. I'm not saying they have to do it, but clearly that's, you know, and again, that also helps you to address another issue because 
he has value. You don't trade Capella for a draft pick. You trade Capella to give you somebody that can help you now on the perimeter somewhere else. So that might do uh, sort of your two birds with one stone kind of thing. Yeah, and if, if I'm one of the other 28 teams in the league and I'm looking at trading for Gobert versus trading for Capella, I want Capella. Like, just Probably so, the, the yeah. difference in dollars uh, alone is and capital because i mean utah is not going to give up gobert for a pittance like you could probably get i know you can get capella for a lot less in terms of assets plus money it's a better contract and gobert's better than capella no we're not saying otherwise he's a better player but i certainly think for a lot of teams it would make more sense to maybe go move uh and that's why you go back to like i, I do understand I, i'm kind of where you are on the on the gobert hypothetical for the hawks because it doesn't really excite me that much, but I'm also aware enough to say, look, if they want, they would be awesome in the regular season at bare minimum. If, if you if you go out and get Rudy Gobert and play pair him with Trey Young, you talked about the offense, the defense. Like Utah, for all of their playoff foibles, wins 50 plus games every year, and there's a reason for that. He's really good at that. So like, if you're Tony Wrestler and you want to just guarantee a top four seed every year, it wouldn't be the worst thing to do. I think that might cap your ceiling a little bit, but I do understand it at least. I'm kind of with you though. It's not like my most exciting thing. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look around the landscape of the league and say, you know, who who is the ideal fit next to someone like a Kongwu, you know, maybe it's somebody like Zubac, like somebody who yeah. has value as a role man. Good defender. Who, who you know, he's, he's the kind of guy you want out there to start games, physical, big, can roll with Trey, um, you know, and, and eat up some of the fouls. And then you get to the fourth quarter and, you know, 10 minutes – to go in the game, you know, you put a Kongu in and he's just going to finish the game for you. You know, you sort of have a starter and a finisher. And then the, the Hawks, you know, they kind of do that, you know, a lot of times with Capella and a Kongu. But I think, you know, just in terms of stature and salaries and, so, and stuff like that, I think it's more palatable for somebody like Zubach than it would be for someone like Capella. Uh, yep. but, you know, I think that's the kind of guy that, that fits there. I don't think you can just say, you know what, trade Capella and you, oh, Kongu's the guy. Like, it, it's going to be a hard sell. I think you need kind of a mix uh, to, to kind of fill fill in the holes on the back end. But I am excited. Like, I think one thing that we haven't seen in the Trey Young era, and it's it's part of the reason why you know I was excited about Gorgie Jang when when you know when things were just kind of falling <laughs> catastrophically for the Hawks. You love Gorgie uh, Jang in November and December. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it was, it was, it was the, you know, the part of it was just that things were bad enough that, it, you know, Gorgie wasn't going to make things worse. But what we haven't seen for Trey is they haven't played a lineup that's a five out lineup that wasn't going to get killed defensively. Like they, they, they can play five out and put Collins at center and those lineups score points, but they also hemorrhage points. Like, yeah, you're playing him. You're playing him next to Hunter at the four or Gallo at the four, and you're automatically just you can't rebound and all those things. So yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, so I, I you know, one of the things I'm excited about for a Kongu, and I hope that this happens, is I I think that he's going to be able to shoot. I don't think there's any reason to say, oh yeah, he's not going to be able to shoot. He's going to be able to shoot, and you're going to be able to make some five out lineups where Trey can really do some stuff. I I think that's part of the way that you get. Uh, that's part of the way that you make life better for Trey against the Boston's and the Miami's and the Dallas's and the golden States is you, you make these lineups that are five out. They're okay defensively and they give 
Trey a chance to operate in space instead of these tight confines where he's trying to dance around multiple bodies. I think he needs a little bit more space on the floor against those kind of lineups without a roll man, without somebody in the dunker spot, uh, so that when there's help on Trey at the rim, that help is coming from further away, and the defense is way more in rotation than it would be if, if someone like Clint is in there. I, I think there is some potential there with some five-out lineups on offense uh, for the Hawks to do some things that make defenses more uncomfortable than what they're doing now. Yeah, you give them more space in general, and especially because in this hypothetical, you have guys like Collins and Okongwu who can actually do both. They can they can also be a role man if you want them to be on, on the floor, but if they want those guys to pick and pop and get out of the way, that versatility is really helpful. Whereas if you're playing Capella, and again, we're very both of us are very pro-Capella, he can only do one thing. He's he's going to roll, and he's going to be in the knocker spot, and that's it. If you're playing lineups with him, you know what you know where he's going to be for the most part. He can't he can't space to the corner to give Trey more space. That's that's not an option. We've seen that with Collins. Collins can do that. A Kongwu you hope can do that long term. And I agree. I'm actually really intrigued by that because you know they were so good at anyway this year offensively, but they still have room to grow, especially in a playoff scenario or just from a versatility standpoint. And I I would be intrigued by that because bringing it back full circle, this is still a team that has to win on offense for the most part, in my mind. Um, and this is not an indictment of Trey Young, but when you when you cast your lot with Trey, like you're kind of just deciding we're going to be an offensive team first. You still got to guard. You still got to be good defensively. And we saw at their highest level last year during the playoff run and in the second half of the season, they were a top 12, 13 defense in the league. And that's that is was underrated and kind of making them a lot better. This year, that, that team never appeared defensively. They were better in the second half, but still like 20th, not 12th. And that's a pretty big gap. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, you still want to maximize your offense because at the end of the day, uh, short of acquiring Donovan Mitchell, Kevin, uh, they, they probably, they probably can't just outscore everyone in the world. Uh, that's, that, that would be the plan if you acquired Donovan Mitchell, which I'm not a, a huge fan of, but necessarily, but, um, I think your, your plan should be still be awesome offensively, but just do enough defensively. And that means, but the thing is the bar for enough at the highest level is still like, you gotta be good still. Like you, you, you may not be Boston, but you gotta be this year's Dallas basically to be able to do that. And that's still a top, uh, what, eight And that's defense, what they do. That's defense. like their best lineups. You know, that the reason the Dallas got this far is that Maxi Kleber got hot for two weeks and they played five out. And if you yep. can do that successfully, then then you can take those steps and be in the conference finals again. Yeah, and you want to make it easy, especially, again, in this hypothetical where you move on from Capella, you got to maximize the Kongo's strengths too. Like, you don't want to treat him like he's Clint Capella. Like you need to use what he's really good at, and that is his speed and versatility and scheme versatility defensively. He can still protect the rim. And hopefully, he, can rebound. He can make reads in the short roll. Like he's a yep. basketball player. He's been playing basketball from a very young age. Like he's an exceedingly good passer. So, you know, Capella made big strides in that area, but Okongwu is still, yeah. And that's the many, thing about Okongwu. Charts higher in that realm. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like. Part of why I'm not sure what we – I know we've seen a lot of Okongwu, but in general, they have not built a game plan around him. Like he's, He still operates in the Capella game plan a lot of the time, which is the way it should be. Capella's playing more. I get that. But I really would be interested to see what this staff did and just in general how you approach it in a Okongwu-centric team. He's not the best player on the team. That's obviously going to be Trey. But you can do a lot of things differently as your base with Okongwu than you can with Capella. Uh, and you could kind of have Collins in that role too and all that stuff. So um, 
I mean, at, the, at this rate, they're going to trade a Kongu like tomorrow and they'll keep Capella and this, this will all be nil, Kevin. But um, it's too early to talk about the draft. Unless you have takes about the draft, I'm not going to ask you. The draft workouts are happening, though. Have you, have you talked to anybody interesting yet in draft workouts? Anybody? Talk to anybody. Well, there you go. I went to talk to Tori Eason. Oh, yeah. They didn't let us in the building. <laughs> I forgot. Tori Eason didn't want to talk. So. I forgot about that one. Sorry. I, I, that was actually an accident. That's funny that brought, that brought that up because Tori Eason is uh, by far, to this point when we're recording, the biggest name that's been in for the Hawks. So he was the one everybody was excited to talk to. And that, that just did not happen. So he was, uh, I think, the only guy that's been in for the Hawks through when we're recording this in late May that is, for me, in play at 16. Um, I know like Jalen Williams is maybe a first round pick. He's coming in on the Monday we're recording this, but um, yeah, we're not, we're not quite there yet. And I, I know, I know you're not like a huge college basketball observer, Kevin. So I'm not going to put you on the spot for your favorite draft guys yet. Um, anybody uh, on your radar for agency or trade stuff? I know it's like, we talked, we talked around it, but do you have a favorite? I, I know everybody in Hawks land seems to have like the guy they want, even if it's pie in the sky from Shea to, Rudy Gobert to Donovan Mitchell to on the lower level, like Malcolm Brogdon's been a popular name I've been seeing. Uh, do you have anyone you're in love with? It might, it might even just be like bring back DeLon Wright, which is maybe my, maybe my take at this point. But uh, what's your favorite hypothetical transaction? Do you have one yet? Or are you still working on this? Resign Gorgie Jang for the minimum. So that's no, all you want. Uh, and that's just, it's such a, that's really, open it's so question. hard. I know it's so hard. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Um, no, it's answer. a good question. Uh, just, um, Solomon Hill for the minimum again, because hopefully, hopefully he can play. I, I'm not kidding. If Solomon Hill is healthy enough to play basketball, they should sign Solomon Hill. They should. And they I'm should. sure he'd I like mean, to come I, I, that, that That's a reasonable it won't uh, change. It won't change your life necessarily, but you said it earlier, like the, the vo- even just the voice of Solomon Hill. And I, people laugh at us when we talk about this stuff, but we're relaying it from the staff and like, it matters. Like got, having a guy like that, you remember this, you, we covered the team when you're know when they brought Deadman back and everybody was like, what are they? Why? And it's like, cause that guy talks and Travis, everybody, they're, they're, they're like, no one talks on this team. We want someone that's loud on the roster. And Solomon Hill's not necessarily that, but he is loud, number one, and just as a vet. And they don't have that guy. I mean, their vets this year were, were quiet vets. Like, lose, a, lose a vet, but lose a quiet vet. He's like a put, put your arm around him guy, kind of guy. He's not, like, he's not going to be a, a barker. So. Yeah, the, the the vet chemistry on this team got a lot better when Cam Reddish was traded, and I don't really know why. <laughs> like, as as soon as Cam was out, it was like, oh, yeah, we, we can be the, the cool the veteran leaders again. And, yeah. uh you know, the, the vibe on the team got a whole lot better after that. And before that, it was very pins and needles. So, And the results yeah. were maybe part of that, too. I mean, they obviously were not playing well early in the year as well, which might have been a huge factor in that. They start like 4-9. and nine. And that's – I know our friend, our mutual friend, Tower Jones, brings this up all the time. About, he, he rants about, about those 13 games, like, every time we talk, because they started 4-9 and nine last year. And I, I will say – I don't know why how I even got here, but they – when you start that way – with expectations the way they had that can kill your season in a lot of ways. Like it doesn't necessarily make your season untenable, like in the standings, but um, if the mood is what it is. And if you start scrambling, which they kind of had to, but they also did. And that's how you get to never playing your young guys ever because you think you can't. And I think Nate even said that a few times, like, you know, we're trying to win every night because we had to, like they were behind the eight ball all year long and you can't play development minutes and you can't do things like that you want to do. It just screws you up. I'm not. That wasn't the reason. That wasn't the only reason why they had a bad season, but it kind of does tell you, like, if you don't have that clubhouse or locker room chemistry, if, you're, if your vibes are off from the beginning, you don't have vet leaders. It can it can hurt you. It's not as important as what's on the court, but it, it, it definitely can affect that stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's one of the big holes that they've got to fix. But so you know, I'm I'm excited about Sean D. Brown. Like, go blue. I mean, I just think that there's you you look at the league and the way things are headed. I think it's hard for two way guys to make an impact, but you know, I think at his position, like he has a path. Like, I don't think all two way guys have a path to get in the rotation. Like. I think there's a way that he gets minutes, like a, a bad situation and he performs for a week or two. Like, I think there's a way that he can kind of put his foot in the door and kind of hold the door open. Um, Pick enough threes because if he plays defense, and he does, if he just makes enough threes, they, they liked him when he came in. I mean, I, you heard him. They, Nate, Nate liked him. Uh, that's I'm sure that's why they signed him at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I agree. I mean, I, I'm obviously a little bit biased. He, he's a Michigan guy, but um, – yeah, he he certainly kind of plays. It's at a, it's at a lower level, but he's kind of that switchable in theory guy. Yeah. You know, six six, burly, strong, like. can move can move people. Uh, clearly, you can't expect him to be awesome, but as a two way, I, I like that signing a lot. It's just it's a guy who you can plug and play, and that's a philosophy thing. I think I talked about it with Glenn recently on the podcast, but there are two philosophies with two way guys. It's like you either want to aim for the aim for the sky on a guy who's probably never going to get there, but has talent. Or you aim for your plug and play types, your Scholar Mays, your Shawnee Brown in this instance, um, you know, Josh Majet back in the day when they wanted to just have their third point guard be that guy. Uh, there are schools of thought there. I think that Shawnee Brown is certainly in the plug and play side, but he's 23 and he, he could be a guy that's an NBA wing for a long time. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I think there's a path where he becomes a regular next season. Like, I wouldn't like wager any substantial amount of money on it. Go blue and, uh, again. I never wager a substantial amount. I was going to say. I, 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 I guess that's I easy. But, say, uh, if you enjoy that sort of thing, Kevin, <laughs> uh, you have to add that in there. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you a question. Oh, Jalen Johnson, is. year two. What is it? Uh whew. So I actually posted on Monday. Uh, Glenn and I talked about. It's a good time for me to plug this. Glenn and I talked about all the guys who were like kind of on the third team, which was Jalen and Sharif and all those guys. We I think we sounded pretty optimistic about Jalen on that podcast, which is good because I am optimistic about Jalen. I, I think that um, not the only reason you'd move on from Gallo, but maybe one of the reasons is that you, you want to clear up something of a path for Jalen Johnson. I don't think you can just say Jalen's playing 20 minutes next year, come hell or high water. I wouldn't do that for a team that's trying to win like the Hawks are. But I think they should hope and plan for him to have a role. He's a talented guy. I think he showed a lot in the G League. He played well. Um, the big question – uh, as I, you can probably imagine, Glenn and I talked about, uh, it's just the defense. It's like, can can Nate trust him defensively is the question of all. And Nate is the guy that's just not going to trust young guys defensively. And I think that the hope is that Jalen comes a long way, um, even during the offseason. Like, he's going to play in summer league, have a full camp. That's the hope that he, he can get to a point where the staff headed by Nate trusts him on defense. And if they do, he can do a lot of things. I mean, he can play a little bit of three if you want him to. He's big. He's physical. He can score. He's one of their better ISO guys. If you had to kind of do that, if they had to like go get a bucket kind of thing, um, I'm excited. I, I, I've basically been as excited as I was in draft night about Jalen Johnson, just because I didn't expect him to do anything this year. So for me, my evaluation is exact, almost exactly the same. Like he had a good year in the G League. He he put up numbers. Like he did what you want him to do in the G League. So like I'm kind of where I was a year ago. I, I still really buy him. And I think this is this is clearly the year where like he can actually get on the court and show it a little bit. Are you excited about Jalen? I don't know where you are. To a point, 
I think it's still a little bit of a rough fit. Uh, well, yeah, currently, with, especially with not to go back to the conversation, but with with Capella and stuff like that, like kind of his uh, he's a he's a theoretical shooter more than a real shooter at this right. point. He, he can shoot it and he will shoot it, but he's not a proven shooter. So if you're right. playing him next to Capella or next to a Kongwu, like there's not a lot of not a lot of space there yet. Right. Yeah. Well, you you said like the the key thing is defense, and for me, the key thing is going to be shooting. I think he's got to make shots. Because I, I think there's going to be a cap on what he can do defensively. You know, Especially think, early on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not putting any huge stock in his defense at this point. So for me, I think I think he's going to have to be a a a good shooter to really have value, and it's going to be a tough fit. I don't know. I, I think that he still has a lot of value, but it, it's it's going to be a tricky dance. I think it's more about, you know, what is he the year after this one than what is he this year? And for this year, it's just a matter of, you know, he's just still needs so many reps. So how do you get those reps without, you know, sabotaging is too strong a word, but, you know, you, you're trying to win now. It's always, it's tough to get young guys seasoning. Uh, especially under a coach. Well, like I was going to say, especially because, and listen, like, I know I said it, but they, he was never going to play this year. That was very clear to us pretty early on. Uh, I think that if you're Travis, even, you, you kind of got to put the bug in Nate's ear. Like, all right, Nate, he's got to play a little bit. Like, you don't have to play him if you think if you think he's killing you, but there's got to be a plan in year two. Like, it can't just be another redshirt year. If you draft a guy at number 20, who is doing what he's done in the G I'm not saying you overstate the G league stuff, but if he plays himself out of it, he plays himself out of it. But I think that it's a hard sell this year, even when you're trying to win to have him play a hundred minutes again, that, 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 that does not work. I think just, you know, PR wise internally, all that stuff. If he's bad, he's bad and he'll show he's bad. And then you can pull him in my mind, but like he can't play hundred minutes again. I don't think that'd, that'd be, that'd be tough. Yeah, I, I think really he just needs to play through it. And I don't think it's necessarily going to be a great season for him. But, you know, if if you want – he's he's a high-risk, high-reward kind of player. Like, yep. I think he can be magnificent. Like, I think he can do a lot of things. But, you know, I think to get to that point, you're going to have to play him through some adversity for, yep. for this upcoming season. So you've got these competing goals and, and – you know, that, that's, that's going to be a delicate balance, but I, you know, if you ask me, what can he be in two, three seasons? I think, I think he can be a lot, but yeah, um, he, he needs the seasoning. He needs the experience. Yeah, he needs the, the right fit of pieces around him and the right coaching situation. Like he just needs a lot of things to click and it's, it's going to be tricky. Yeah. He's got to play more and we'll see how they handle that. I know uh, we'll be watching summer league intently. He is going to be along with whoever they draft in the first round, if they make a pick this year and maybe Sharif as well, will be the guys that everyone's looking at, at summer league. And that's the way it should be. Um, I'll be intrigued. You don't want to overstate that either, but you can learn a lot. Like if, uh, I think Len and I said, like you want him to be looking so good in, in Vegas that he, that he stops playing like the third game. Like, you know what I mean? Like he might need to play more because he just hasn't played that much, but it, it, it should be obvious. Hopefully that he just looks awesome. And that'll be the end of that. Um, Kevin, we we can probably talk for two hours, but I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna do that to you today. So we should get out of here. But please plug what you have going on. I know I said a lot of it at the beginning uh, about your 12 jobs that you have. You're kind of rivaling me in your level of jobs that you have, uh, and yours are, yours, are, yours are actually better jobs than mine, to be fair. Uh, Hawks.com and such. But um, if you have any, anything else to add, feel free. And then if not, please uh, share where the people can find your stuff. No, I don't. I don't put that kind of pressure on myself. So. <laughs> 
if I, if I plug the podcast, then I got to make more episodes. So there was a recent episode you guys recorded like like last week. <laughs> you and Kevin, I mean, you're okay, not yeah, you're, you're not tasked with doing it every day like ATL I am. On twenty nines during the playoffs, so yeah, okay, ETL on twenty nine podcast, but. It's an awesome listen. It's a, it's a bi-weekly I, podcast. That's okay. None of, this, listen, none of this daily stuff. You don't have. Uh, I am tasked with doing a podcast daily. It's uh, it's a good thing most of the time. Sometimes it's awful. Uh, but I enjoy I enjoy your podcast. Also, you, also, you write sometimes. Hawks.com. Yeah, that's true. You do social for Bally sometimes during the season. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about off season, but during the season, you certainly do. You're always. Uh, I sit I sit next to Kevin at games, and Kevin is always doing some graphic. Or something, some video cut or something. He's a very busy man. Honestly, I have kind of a beautiful mind thing going during games, making my crazy notes. But Kevin is even crazier with all the stuff he has to do for social media stuff. So it's quite a scene when we're there, Statler and Waldorfing at basketball games. <laughs> and losing our hearing. That too. Uh, thank you again, Kevin. I do sincerely appreciate the time. Um, as for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. Check out, once again, ATL on 29. And we'll see you all next time.